Hello, all you positive heads out there. Brandon Beecham here. Thanks for tuning into this week's podcast. I am extremely excited on this episode to be speaking with a person who is considered by many to be the top visionary artist on the planet right now, uh, Android Jones. If you haven't had the privilege of seeing Android's artwork, just pause this podcast right now. Go over to androidjones.com. Take a few minutes to check it out before you listen to the rest of this episode. That way you have an idea of, you know, the ridiculous talent that Android possesses. And it, it'll also give you a context for some of the uh, topics that we're going to be discussing on the episode. So, uh, hello, Android. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. I, I've been uh, definitely looking forward to this ever since uh, I had the pleasure of meeting you actually not too long ago at our, our mutual friend Shane Garrett's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a month or so ago. And, and, you know, at that time I got the opportunity to pick your brain a little bit there. And I've really been looking forward to continuing some of the fascinating conversations we started to get into. Uh, however, some of that stuff gets pretty deep. So perhaps I should start at the beginning. You know, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, how and when you started down your unique artistic path. Great. Um, yeah, I was born in Boulder, Colorado. And uh, I, you know, I really gravitate towards art at a really early age. You know, I think you know, people kind of say I've been, I guess I've been an artist my whole life. Um, I think my parents and teachers noticed something kind of unique about me around like age five. And they got oh, wow. me into some private art lessons, just kind of like once a week. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I took those pretty much all through my adolescence. And I was raised out on a farm in a town called Lyons. And uh, I had a lot of, a lot of free time, a lot of time That's in nature. That's Colorado, right? Colorado, yeah. And uh, okay. a lot of isolation. And I think that isolation um, kind of bred a lot of freedom for being creative. I, I was um, drawing was my favorite way of entertaining myself. And uh, I think it was kind of an attraction towards creating work and the creative experience. And it was also just kind of a vacuum of there weren't really <laughs> any other skills that that shone forth. I was, uh, right. really, I was, I wasn't didn't have a lot of athletic intelligence. Um, I had, you know, maybe some slight dyslexia, so numbers and spelling and words were not uh, really uh, my forte. And uh, the more I focused on art, kind of the less I focused on, I guess, developing other areas. And it just kind of, I kind of say, I kind of painted myself into a creative corner and didn't look back. Awesome. Well, I think that happens a lot of times with people, especially when they're so gifted in a particular area. It's like, you kind of take uh, take all your all your eggs and put them in one basket so that you can really excel. And although I'm sure you have lots of other talents in other areas, it's it's when you see that you shine in one given area. It's I think it's really smart to focus on it like that, and especially to start doing it at such a young age. It you know the results speak for themselves, I suppose. Yeah, and I, I think it just really became my favorite way for really interacting with reality and and other people. You know, you can. From a like an evolutionary bio, bi, biological standpoint, it was kind of a, a way of like signaling, um, a way of kind of creating value and connections with people around me and my group and community, and uh, right. it was something that people got value out of, and I got a lot of really value uh, making it. So it just kind of created its own uh, momentum from there. Yeah, it makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Now, as a digital artist. How do you feel digital art compares to more traditional modalities? Because I'm assuming you started, you know, with with more traditional modalities. And, and sure. And 
how did you end up, you know, choosing and going the, the kind of digital art path? Yeah. Oh, like, yeah, I started with, you know, pencils and then into markers and colored pencils and Conte chalk and acrylics and oil paints. And I was actually, when I was in high school and kind of the beginning of, uh, I went to an art school. Um, I really focused a lot of my energy on the, uh, on that kind of the traditional academic drawing and painting. Um, I took private lessons through an atelier in Boulder where we learned cast drawing and anatomy and figure drawing. Um, while I was mm-hmm. in college, I took a course where I would dissect cadavers and to, to learn and get a better understanding of like the fundamental basis of anatomy. Um, I was mm-hmm. always, you know, really in awe and studying the works of the old masters and not just the, the style of what they were doing, but really the uh, kind of the, the, the thought pattern and the modality and how they approached uh, their work and their craft. And um, I, I went to a, a college and I majored in computer animation and fine arts in Sarasota, Florida at the Ringling School of Art and Design. And okay. uh, that's probably when I got my first real taste of what of the potential of what technology was capable when combined with, uh, you know, human imagination and creativity. And as I studied all these masters that I had so much respect for, it became really clear to me that all of these people that we admire, the Michelangelo and the Leonardo and Velasquez, all these guys, like they were, um, you know, they, they weren't, they weren't stuck on the, they weren't looking at the old cave painters. You know, they were all definitely using the highest elements of, creative technology that was available to them, whether it was like a camera obscura or, you know, the latest chemistry and, and pigments and paints and brushes and canvas. And it became really clear to me that if any of these artists were alive in the modern era, that they would be, they would be computer animators. Right. Um, they would be working in film. They would be, they would be pushing the, li- they mean we're, they're known because they pushed the limits, not because they were attached sure. to any kind of, romantic history of the artists that came before them and in around 96 i think that's when i first got my hands on a wacom tablet and started painting digitally with photoshop Mm -hmm. and corel painter and um you know it was a bit of an awkward transition because i had studied all the prima oil painting you know and i think i had a pretty at the time I i felt like i had a pretty firm grasp on that and mixing colors and composition and but when i looked when i kind of tried to project myself into the future, I could see that the way the technology was going, there were going to be so many opportunities from uh, using the medium of electricity than being really attached towards pigments. And I also saw that when I looked at what artists like Rembrandt did with oil paints, you know, there's, there's not a whole lot to add to that, to that conversation as far as innovation. Um, obviously, there's subject matter that can be improved upon. There's philosophy. There's a lot of things you can add with that, but technically, there's not a lot that I see artists doing that weren't that hasn't been mastered hundreds of years ago with traditional media. And uh, I made a really conscious decision um, to kind of push off from the shores of what was comfortable and really kind of go all in to this digital medium to see what um, what it could render and and how to explore that and how to not only explore that for myself but to try to push the medium for other artists like the artists that I used to admire did that for me. Right. Right. Yeah. That, uh, that definitely makes sense. I think, uh, you know, if I were to ever, as someone who's always looking to what's coming next, if I were to, uh, have been in your shoes, I would have thought the exact same thing. It just, you know, 
using technology to the fullest makes a lot more sense than doing what's been done a million times before, at least for someone with my personality. And it sounds like you kind of uh, lean that same way. I, I've seen the term electromineralist used uh, as a term to describe your art. Can you explain that? Yeah, that that's actually me just trying to um, make kind of a, a clear distinction about the medium that I use. Because a lot of artists are kind of classified by their mediums, whether they're painters or sculptors. Mm-hmm. And when I really look at what's the medium that I'm manipulating uh, with my imagination and my creativity, um, electromineralism is a term that I came up with that seems to be kind of define it in more clear terms. Because if you look back... Mm-hmm. At this, you know, the thousands of years of our history we have that most of human creativity has been, we've been exploring it and it's been partially limited by basically like the, like more or less the plant and animal kingdom as far as a medium, you know, using, you know, papers made out of organic materials from, you know, dating back from papyrus to cotton to trees. Yeah. Um, a lot of the brushes would have been animal hair that we use and wood and it's been, you know, it's been amazing to get us to where we are now, at now, but where we're at now is this medium. When I look at these the technology and the laptops and the servers and the computers, you know, there's nothing really foreign or alien about it. It's really just another manipulation of, of, you know, the earth that we have. And so when you look at the computers and you break them down, it's largely a combination of different exotic minerals put together. They've got magnesium and silicon yeah. and quartz crystals and petrochemicals and the the medium that these manipulate is really electricity and electricity is 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 very fundamental you know our our brains are kind of turned on by these electrochemical impulses you know like it's, you could make an argument that, that, that dreams are electrical in their nature our imagination and our brains work with these electrical impulses so when i think sure. when we get down to it the medium of electricity may be one of the purest even though it's not considered traditional, it's one of the purest mediums of, of communication and transferring thoughts and images and data that, that we have. So the electro mineral, I find that's actually a better, a better, a better descriptive term than just digital um, when trying to uh, get to kind of an explanation of what it is that I'm using to create these images. You're, you're creative even in your descriptions, but when you describe it, it makes all the sense in the world. I, yeah. I definitely like that. As far as your inspiration, I mean, is there a particular artist or artist that was or is your, your biggest inspiration? You know, I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of artists um, that, that I look to and I admire, you know, all through my life kind of growing up. There's different artists that are, are partially formative in my experience, but when it comes to what inspires me the most, um, you know, currently and probably for the last I said decade or so, I'm really more inspired by by not so much visual art, but you know, nature in general will always be the greatest inspiration I have. And I, but I think I draw a lot more inspiration from from actually music that I do from okay. from visual images. Sometimes, interesting. I find, I find that it's kind of important to kind of keep your your artistic palette your visual palette a little a little clean um Mm -hmm. because you can kind of you know they say you know all artists you know we're all working off of each other and you know it worked with this one big neural net that we're all inspiring each other in different ways but 
when I try to, you know, artists, you know, classical music and contemporary artists, um, I'd say like one of the artists I'm probably inspired the most by would be a musician named Tipper. He's a, right. a digital. Yeah, he's amazing. A, he's amazing. And it's when I turn you did on the, his, the al- his recent album cover, correct? I did. Yeah. But I mean, that's the kind of thing when I, when I just put on a Tipper album and open up a canvas and sometimes I get more inspiration off just trying to translate the sounds that he makes into lines and shapes and colors than I would from, you know, taking a tour around the Metropolitan Museum. You know, that's something right. that really, it just, that really turns me on. And it's, it's a challenge that's uh, it's so subjective and there's no, there's no real end goal to it. You know, I can listen to a song and try and a hundred times and come up with a different image based off trying to interpret that music. And I think that that dynamic between taking a medium that's not visual and translating that into something visual, it's a, it's a challenge and it's something that, you know, excites me and I get a lot of, I get a lot of enjoyment out of. Fascinating. How long does it take you to do a typical piece? It's really different. Um, There are sometimes it really depends on it's, it's, I find that it's not, as much the amount of time that an image takes, it's really about uh-huh. the quality of my focus and my concentration. You know, when I'm really focused, when I really create the space, which is, you know, getting rid of all distractions, giving myself like a long runway to kind of take off with as far as like time. Um, when I can, when I'm really focused, it's almost as if I can stretch time out, so to speak. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. I'll record the paintings that I do, like I'll record the screen and I'll feel like three or four hours have gone by. But when I look at the recording, I can see that it's only been like an hour and a half, but from start to finish, a lot of pieces, they'll take up to several days to several weeks. And the, what I find interesting is that the the initial, the initial sort of like gusto of an image, like I'll, I'll, I'll be getting most of the composition and a lot of the major decisions may be done in an evening or one or two days. But for me, I find that it's it's like the the mastering and the refinement of it can take, mm-hmm. you know, the last 10% can take 90% of my time often just really kind of dialing in a lot of different details and nuances and kind of going back and forth and wrestling with myself until I think it's finally finished. But um, right. yeah, some go really fast. Some are an uphill battle and can take months before they're ready. But, you know, largely if I were to do an inventory of my hard drive, I've got, you know, my, the, the, the start, the halfway finished starts and the unfinished work that, um, there's a, there's a landslide of that, (laughs) that, that hasn't been released because, um, a lot of times if something isn't working, I'll just, I'll, um, I'm the kind of guy that loves to just start a new idea. My, My favorite part is the is the beginning of an image. Yeah. The, the detailing and refining it can sometimes be a bit of a drudgery. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's <clears throat> having made music for many, many years, I definitely can relate to the idea of, you know, you've got it, you're inspired some moments and a lot comes out at once. And then you can have moments where it's like you're pulling teeth and you have to kind of learn after over time to just follow those, those kind of bursts of energy and inspiration. Yeah, I'm sure it's very similar for for you, and that kind of leads me to my let <clears throat> my next question. I mean, do you feel that the artistic visions you create are in any way channeled from your higher self or source or some other being or realm? You know, not of this dimension. Um, there are definitely a lot of images that I don't feel a particular ownership for, as far as as what they are. Um, I have a responsibility for 
the discipline that I've and the training I have for like understanding composition and line and form and color and anatomy. Those are things, uh, those are part of like the architecture of, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you want to call that skill or or talent that I have that help bring those things through. Um, Mm -hmm. but there's, you know, there's a lot of different, there's, I find that there's different stages in the creative process and these different stages, um, I, I can encounter them and kind of go through them as uh, as a piece progresses um i guess for an example like at the beginning like the first stage i kind of consider it like stages in this conversation um the first stage is usually just like a conversation with my with my own conscious self like i'm making very i might make some very deliberate decisions that um take into account composition um color theory you know things that i know that that work as far as um creating an image Mm-hmm. And I can go through that. And then if I get really into a piece and I'm able to kind of lose myself and focus, then sometimes the piece in general, especially when I work, sometimes I work from a very abstract base um, without any clear intentions or ideas in mind, or I'll follow an emotion or a song. And then if I get through that, there, it can get to a point where I'm having a conversation with almost sometimes it feels like my subconscious where there's mm-hmm. elements that start coming in and there's this back and forth. And if I get through that and I kind of can, if I, if I cross the barriers of the subconscious into, into deeper realms, then there are elements where the, the decisions and the painting and the things that come through and the ideas that are coming back, they definitely feel um, at sometimes not all the time. It feels like there is a conversation with um, a, a presence or a, a, a consciousness or an energy that isn't that isn't me at all, and that right. that's rare. It doesn't happen all the time, but like I say, it's there's an evolution in the conversation that I'm having with the piece, and um, you know, ultimately, it's that it's that third level that I that I, I think I and a lot of other artists really strive to, and. Um, I, I, I theorize a lot that that energy, you know, there is in my life, I've definitely encountered this very a conscious, creative energy. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I've never really, it's not something that I've had, a, I've, 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 I can't say that I've like seen the face of it, if it even has a face, but it feels like it's eternal. It feels like it's been here with humanity and, and the universe forever. And, but there's different, I'd like to think that there's different degrees of that, you know, a lot of artists kind of talk about channeling something. Um, there have been moments in my life where you're just in the throes of the creative experience and things are happening. And I've like looked down at my hands and it's like, I don't even recognize my own hands. Like things are happening. Wow. It's like, it's maybe it's akin to like, maybe like surfing, like a massive wave, or it's kind of like having like a lucid dream. Sometimes you're in this lucid dream and you realize that it's a dream. And at that moment, it's almost like, as soon as you recognize it, it starts fading away. So right. um, it's very uh, temporal for sure. And it's elusive, but it definitely exists. But um, I've been thinking lately that I think that I think there are different energies, if you want to call them like interdimensional or spiritual or, or spirits, that um, they do seem to come through at times. But I, I'm starting to think lately that the caliber of the inspiration that you know that may be channeled or comes down, I think that there is a correlation between the amount of like skill and and discipline that somebody has. I mean, I feel like the the energy of these entities that they're very selective, and yeah. 
they, um, you know, if they come down and they want to drive a car, you know, they're going to want to, you know, drive a car that has a, a really strong engine, you know, it's right, like, right. it's like, I think, I think, I think there's a bit of discernment there. And I think the more that an artist, cause they're, whatever this energy is, it's tapping into me and my life and my experiences, um, to the level of how, how much I've refined my own craft and skill. Um, yeah. because it, it, what's, what's conscious in me are just like the muscle memories of, understanding, like I said, like anatomy, understanding like line and value and pressure and balance. Like there's all these different sort of, um, very objective harmonies within, uh, image making that have been around and been developed and evolved for thousands of years. And that's, that's the part that's me that it, um, I think that it utilizes and takes advantage of. And I think that the more an artist has those things, understands those different elements the farther they can go when um, something else decides to maybe tap them on the shoulder. So that sort of answers uh, the question I was going to ask next. And that is, do you feel like as you evolve as an artist that you will, you know, hit that third level, so to speak uh, more and more often. And uh, it, it sounds like you do. Yeah, I can hope, you know, I, I think a lot of times, sometimes the most important decisions I make, when it comes to creating a new piece is, is sometimes this create is a uh, establishing like the right set and setting and kind of container. You know, so the yeah. more, the more time I put into, you know, sometimes it's even making sure that the studio that I'm working within is like really pristine, making sure yeah. that there's no distraction selecting a really beautiful playlist. Um, sometimes I'll meditate. I'll do some breathing exercises. I'll, you know, light some coal and burn some copal or some incense and really make this container for, you know, I want to be inviting as po as possible to whatever energy may or may not choose to come through in that moment and give myself plenty of time. You know, these conversations usually happen really late at night when the yeah. rest of the world is sleeping and people aren't texting me or emailing me and I turn the Wi-Fi off. Like those are that that creates um, the, a greater probability uh, for uh, of refining those conditions for something something special to happen. Interesting, interesting. Now, obviously, the art that you create is extremely psychedelic in nature and depicts you know spectacular spiritual imagery that uh, appears to transcend the physical world. I think that's probably safe to say. Um, as far as you know, other inspiration, you know, ha I've heard it said that you use psychedelics, uh, particularly DMT as a, as a tool to aid in the creation of your art. Can you tell me about how that plays into it? Sure. Um, you know, as far as I, I've, I've definitely had experiences with, with DMT, it's not, um, it's, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd consider DMT really like a, uh, a it's not, it's not an art supply on my shelf that I, that I go <laughs> right, to okay, very okay. often. All right. Um, it's definitely not something there's other types of psychedelics psychedelics, uh, particular like LSD that are definitely better tools that I can, I've learned to harness and create art mm -hmm. during those states. Um, sure. DMT can be something that is, you know, it makes a fundamental change in my consciousness that alters like future decisions that, that I may make. Uh, uh -huh. I've never, um, there, uh, there have been situations. Um, I, there's a period of my life where I was doing a lot of ayahuasca ceremonies and uh -huh. after, after a few hours into the ceremony, I would open up a sketchbook and I would start drawing 
um, kind of like sketching out kind of the, the traces of the, the Icarus, I would do that. So I guess that would be some creative experiences that are um, supported by the, the DMT that's in ayahuasca. Um, right. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, DMT is a really tricky one. Um, there are, I've had probably some of the most terrifying experiences in my life with that substance. And so I, I, I just, I, I have a deep amount of um, respect and a healthy amount of fear <laughs> around sure. it at times. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty potent and, uh, you know, one of the most potent experiences that I think that I've, I've probably ever had is, is with that, with that right, chemical. Right. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to ask, because I had heard that that was one that you used and I'd never asked you that. So it's interesting <laughs> to hear that it's actually not something that you lean on so much and you've used, uh, others, but, but typically it's not. Just to kind of clarify, so you're typically not in a psychedelic state, you'd say, when when you're making art. That's just something that you've used from time to time. Yeah, there's definitely been times. I mean, for the amount of art that I make, if I was in those states all the time, it would be... You'd be tripping it, constantly. <laughs> it'd be highly unsustainable as a practice. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I mean, the, the real goal is to, and I think, is to have those type of experiences and you know, there's usually lessons that come through. There's some questions that yeah. I can ask and it's really about learning different elements and then taking that into your, your normal default operating world. Um, if you, you know, to be an artist and have to rely on those type of tools, um, like I said, that's not, I don't think that's a mentally sustainable practice to have. It would seem more like a crutch. Yeah. 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 And I really, like I said, I've heard that from a few different places, you know, over the last couple of years and uh, I was just really curious about it because I, I thought the same thing, but at the same time, when you look at the art that you're creating, it is so psychedelic and so, you know, otherworldly, it's kind of like one of those things, well, well, shoot, maybe it is, the, you know, how he's tapping into this, but what you're saying makes, makes a lot more sense. So I had to get that question out there. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, really, in, re, I think reality in general is really psychedelic. My dreams are incredible. I mean, I've had m- more profound you know, visual dream spaces that I have in, in most ayahuasca circles. And I think it's really just being open to the, the psychedelic nature of consciousness in general. So you don't need to necessarily have these sort of like these, these um, mental boosters, um, you know, sure. psychedelics can definitely be, um, I think particularly with, with LSD and mushrooms, they can act as um, kind of creative steroids of sorts. You know, I think that sure. in the LSD experiences, they, they take the kind of you know, the, the the neocortex shape recognition technology and really you know turn that dial up to like eleven or twelve sometimes, but um, it's something that also just needs to be handled with a lot of reverence and a lot of respect. And um, be re- it's really I'd really caution anyone not to um, abuse that because if it did become a crutch, that would be a you know I think that would be a pretty slippery slope to to go down. I completely agree. I think it's one of those things used in the right context and, and so forth. It can be extremely healing and opening and creative and abused like anything. It can be very destructive. So yeah, um, I think that's, that's an important distinction. So, okay. Your, your art definitely has this very, like I've, I've alluded to and people who've seen it and hopefully everyone went over and checked it out before they listened to this podcast. If they haven't ever seen it, it's obviously very, you know, uh, spiritual in nature and so forth, like I, like we've discussed. And I mean, that leads me 
to to wonder what are your thoughts on the ultimate nature of reality? I mean, spiritually speaking, what do you think is really going on behind the scenes of this 3D reality? Gosh, you know, I wish I had a great answer for you there. I've definitely had lots of theories throughout my life, but for the amount of searching that I've done and experiences that I've gone after, it's kind of like the, you know, I say like that, the, the more I know, the the less I know, or the more I realize sure. that I know nothing about right. what's going on for me to, 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 to sit here and try to try to try to speculate on the great mystery of consciousness that they could be foolish. Right. Um, I'm, I'm really, I, I think I'm just in love with the, the mystery of it all. Um, I'm just totally overtaken by the ambiguity of what's really happening. And yeah, there's times where I think I get a glimpse and I think I get a better idea and yeah. then just to find that something else happens that totally destroys like any, any, any semblances of a theory that I may have. And, right, um, right. you know, I, I, I've, I've grown to really, um, I think respect and enjoy and love the, the mystery of it all. And I love different theories. I love learning about different things. Um, you know, I really like a lot of the work of people like Ken Wilber that, study all the different components and try to create kind of an integral idea and look at some of the similarities between religions and cultures and ideas. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I believe in love. I believe that I believe in like the, the principle of not harming other people. Um, and, uh, you know, I believe, I believe humans are meant to be creative. I think that there's a, there's a, I think that I guess, you know, really like art is, I guess it's probably my form of, of spirituality because yeah. you know, a lot of times people see that, you know, you can look at the the fruit or the product of what's being created. And, um, it's, I mean, in a way, like I was, I was thinking of saying this the other day, the, the art that, that I make, it's just, it's really just like the residue of the life that I live. Um, the, um and a lot of the, the images that I'm making when I get to that third, that third stage, that third level, I mean, yeah. I'm, I guess, it's almost um, like a record of my conversation with, with spirit or God or whatever you want to call it. Like these images are the ways that I connect with that infinite mystery. And um, you know, the medium, I mean, one of the reasons I think that I'm attracted to digital art is because I feel that I can have the, the um, like the deepest and the most amazing type of conversation through the medium of electricity. Uh, The things that, that happen, the amount of, ideas and shapes and components that I can explore digitally um, are so much more robust than if I was having that conversation and the medium was the tip of a charcoal pencil, as far as right. the information that, and the, and the, and the, the free flow of information that goes both ways. Um, yeah. I mean, the di- digital, this electromineralism, that's kind of the, that's the vehicle of, and, and the, the, the means of my, of my, my conversation with God. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, what is your thought on the burgeoning transformational festival scene that, you know, of course, has been a huge supporter and I'm sure promotional vehicle for, for yourself as well as, you know, all other visionary artists. Um, I mean, how would you say it has helped to raise awareness of your art? Um, well, to raise awareness, yeah, it's been amazing. I've been, it's, I think I've really kind of evolved my myself within within that scene it's created a, a kind of amazing container for me to 
explore these different realms of consciousness and uh and from an artistic perspective really the ability it's given me to interact with people and um mm-hmm. understand kind of the deeper needs that people have for art in their lives it's uh uh, it's brought me all around the world to different festivals, different trans festivals all over the planet, and that's been that's been really exciting to explore that. And uh, yeah, I think that's definitely how I've made a name for myself, and I've built up a community and a tribe of people that support me through the exposure I've had at different these different events. Um, and in, in recent years, I've put a lot of energy into creating large-scale galleries at these events like Burning Man and Boom. And uh, I find that it's really valuable to, you know, instead of, I I put more energy into showing my art at festivals than I do in the traditional um, galleries and cities because um, I find that the festivals create the environment for people to be in different states of consciousness and encounter the art, which is, in a lot of ways, that's where it's really meant to be viewed and be seen and be experienced. So, um, that part is, that part's really amazing. Yeah. So, so you would say it's, it's been instrumental, uh, in your whole journey. When, when was your first experience at one of these sorts of festivals and was it like a light bulb moment for you in regards to what your future was going to look like? It was for sure. Um, I think probably it was my first burning man. And I think that was around, 2003, um, if I'm remembering correctly, might be the first burn that I went to. And I went there by myself. I didn't know anybody that had gone to Burning Man before. I had just kind of seen it on different websites and over the internet. And I kind of just finally made the commitment and decision to go by myself. And yeah, it really, it really broke me open in a lot of ways. Just seeing, I guess, I'd always, my creativity and being an artist, it was really an, an isolated creative experience. I was doing it, you know, in my room or in my studio or by myself late at night. And to when I first Burning Man, the thing I was the most overwhelmed by wasn't just like the magnitude or the scale of the art, but it was just seeing these communities of people that were together making art, making these theme camps, putting on these stages, and the amount of people that were, that had the ability to to express their creativity live and in front of groups of people. And that was something that really stuck with me. That was something that I really wanted to find out how, you know, it was kind of a deeper challenge of how, how could I interact creatively and be more vulnerable and um, yeah. And share it with more people like in the moment. Yeah. Where, where do you see that whole movement going from here? Obviously Bernie man, you know, uh, first year that I went was right around then 2005. And, you know, really, then that was the very, you know, transformative experience for me as well. And, uh, in the last few years, it just seems especially, you know, on the, on the West coast here in California and Colorado, where you're at, and there's so many festivals now, smaller festivals popping up and it's just growing and growing and growing. Where do you see it all going from here? Would it, you know? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I go back and forth on that a lot. Um, I think back in, I, I, I think creatively, I almost feel like there was like the wave crested as far as this being like a really beautiful, organic, spontaneous kind of movement, like around 2006, 2007. Like some of the things that were happening back then were so unbelievably magical and spontaneous and these groups of, of, of amazing people just figuring things out in the moment. And it felt really really ecstatic and alive and vibrant and 
think over the years I've I've seen um, a certain amount of kind of monotony that gets created mm-hmm. within these. It's almost like the it's like the there's a conformity of counterculture. I look yeah. out and people are kind of you know there's a, there's a there's a counterculture uniform that's created yeah. now. You know, like there's it's it's become it's starting to become its own stereotype, like like a bro or a juggalo or yeah, anything right, else. Right. It, it starts feeling it starts feeling a bit engineered and um yeah. you know especially you know we get into the commodification of creativity which is uh a really kind of an unfortunate thing that most artists have to have to be involved with um it's my least favorite part of how to be creative and be functional and successful in a in a culture but i mean i think the place that i like seeing it i mean i went to lightning in a bottle this year and yeah. there i think for a little while i was kind of fighting the how much this this really unique um counterculture scene was to to me and my friends and there at first you know there were years where i had a real resistance to seeing it become more mainstream but um i've recently i've i've changed my views where you know i think what's important is for this festival culture um to become you know i want it to become as mainstream as as soon as possible i want it to almost like sell out as soon as it can and the reason is because i think as soon as what our our underground counterculture becomes mainstream that creates the kind of that sows the seeds and the soil and the foundation for a new underground to emerge and that's what i'm excited about i'm excited about this underground is already kind of running its course i'm excited to see what the next generation is going to do um, right. I think, you know, that's where this came from. And I think that is the cycle of culture. Um, so yeah, as soon as this one grows up, there's something new can start to be, can kind of come from the ashes of that. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I, I think it's an interesting point for, you know, for someone like yourself, it's, it's in some sense, you can see the stereotypes. It's grown stale on some level. Uh, the, the, the huge amount of creativity that's there is, is kind of pigeonholed into these, certain things that maybe don't appear so creative anymore. But I think the positive thing about it is for those that maybe are having a very first experience, you know, this was our very first Burning Man or lightning in a bottle. And that same awe that you had in 2003, they're having now and it helps to open them up in some sort of way. And I think uh, that's an important piece. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons that I put a lot of energy there's a series of years I made these massive theme camps at Burning Man, and it's why I put a huge amount of effort into creating these these galleries. Where a lot of times my participation in these events it isn't to have an amazing time or to you know lose myself on the dance floor. Um, I'm often there really in service to, like I said, yeah. those first timers. You know, I want to create that you know amazing El Circo Saturday night that I saw in 2003 for someone that's going to be there for their first yeah. time. I think that that's, there's a lot of value and there's a lot of importance in, in that and, and moving things forward. But like yeah, you said, yeah. there's also, there's a danger in um, the conformity, you know, cause there comes a point where visionary culture just becomes another cage for someone's consciousness, you know, totally. cause I think, you know, imagination is unlimited, you know, what we can think of, there's no boundaries of what human beings are capable of making and expressing and exploring and a lot of times these people can get into these little cultural ruts and cages that kind of confine that unlimited potential into um, a certain kind of architecture of 
of thoughts and styles and dance moves and whatever. And so that's something, it's just something I think everyone needs to be really um, aware of and cognizant of that, you know, we always need to make space for what's, what's coming next and not get too attached to what is now. Absolutely. What are your thoughts on, you know, you hear a lot of talk about creating a permanent kind of, you know, permanent village infrastructure and so forth. What what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think that can be really interesting. I've, I've never seen one myself that I say has been totally, uh, I guess, totally realized. Um, sure. I, I do, I put a lot of energy and a lot of work with the family that runs the boom festival and uh-huh. they're one of the closest that I've seen to that, that they have, they have kind of an infrastructure that's there all year round and they keep uh-huh. kind of building upon that. Um, festivals like Shambhala have stages that they add to every year. I think from just like a conservation of energy, it makes a lot of sense to be constantly, you know, building year after year on something instead of just building and taking it down and building it, taking it down. There's just a lot of, a lot of wasted energy that I see in part of that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's something that I, I think that's something worth that's, that's worthy of, uh, encouraging. It'd be great to see, see some more permanence. Um, you know, as long as that permanence is also, um, it's kind of like tempered with, you know, responsibility. It'd be great to see, more people and flexibility, living, right? Flexibility and and yeah, and I and I don't say sustainability, but you know, a responsibility as far as you know, it'd be great to see them, you know, digging wells for their own water and creating more solar panels and being more responsible and efficient with how they use their energy. So it's something that where because that's I think that's where real freedom is. Is freedom is when you're really you're not relying on someone else for your energy in these different things. You know, I think festivals are a great model to start exploring um, that, that idea more. Yeah. And there's so many new, you know, uh, methods of, of generating energy and so forth coming out all the time and advances mm-hmm. in technology. It's such an interesting and perfect time it seems for it. So that's definitely an area that I'm, I'm very interested in seeing develop and hoping to be involved with developing, you know, in some level, but yeah, I was very curious how, how you thought, you know, what your take was on that sort of thing. Um, you also just created artwork for the 50th anniversary, uh, final, uh, fare thee well show for the legendary rock band, the grateful dead that actually took place in the last week. Um, uh, let me say congratulations on that. I mean, that must've been incredible to participate in. Uh, tell me about that experience. How did you get involved with that? And, and yeah, just tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm, I'm still kind of recovering. <laughs> I've got, I bet. A, like a, got like a grateful dead hangover still. What a thing to have achieved. Yeah. I'm processing a lot. Um, it came from a, def- a couple different directions. Um, I had had a relationship with Mickey Hart's manager. Um, we were talking about doing some album art a little while ago. And mm-hmm. so there was a connection there. And then um, Howard Cohen, the manager, he, I think he contracted out with Obscura Digital to be um, kind of like the main head of the the visual, the visual component for Mickey's drums and space section. And I've I've known Obscura and I've worked with them for over 10 years. So it was kind of like a perfect storm of different components coming together and uh they pulled me on on the project i mean maybe maybe like a month ago i mean it was only maybe five or six weeks ago oh, that wow. it became like a real thing and we started working on it we uh 
we, um, one of my friends from obscure Travis had a, had a house in Tahoe and he invited the whole team to come down and, uh, start kind of working and collaborating together. Um, but it was a very, uh, it was a very kind of spontaneous and impulsive thing. You know, we never really had, there was a lot of really loose type of, of kind of boundaries around it where we, you know, up until the shows, we didn't really know how long we were making visuals for. We didn't know exactly what the music for, because it was really just Mickey and Billy kind of jamming out in their drums and space section of it. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of um, content that we created ahead of time thinking it would work. And then you kind of get there and you realize that it's a, it's, it's very different than you imagined. Um, yeah. So there was a lot of, you know, creative thinking on our feet, creating that. And uh, I, I will say that I, I, I think I, I definitely totally underest, underestimated how potent an experience that it would be for, for myself and uh, wow. just in general. Like I had, I definitely, obviously I've been exposed to a lot of Grateful Dead music when I was 15. I got, you know, I got, I remember got a tape of Terrafin Station and I think it was just when I started experimenting with some marijuana and I remember just putting the headphones on, on my Walkman <laughs> and just going on some really <laughs> deep journeys to, to Terrafin Station and some of John Perry Barlow's lyrics. And, yeah. uh, but you know, I, I wouldn't, I never would have considered myself like a, a, a dead head. Um, right. up, up until really this weekend. And I'm telling you like five shows back to back. Um, yeah. it's like, I, I'm still trying to really put it in to like contextualize it and kind of create different metaphors. Um, but I think it was, it was probably sat Saturday night is when the, uh, the switch got turned on for me. Cause I was looking at it from a lot of different angles too. There was a, an article I was I I had, uh, read written by a researcher named Jan Irving that he puts forth the idea that the Grateful Dead is like it's a it's a massive like mind control program that it's been <laughs> it, it was like it was a count it was, it was a part of counterculture totally like engineered by the CIA and so I was kind of looking at it through that lens oh, like wow. what what is it what is it that's so attractive about this music um, I I came to I kind of understand I think a lot of it has to do with some of the like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, the, mm-hmm. the the sense of belonging was unbelievable. I mean, that first night seeing you know, 70,000 people all there at Levi Stadium, just in this unbelievable excitement and anticipation for this concert. You know, seeing it all build up, seeing the stadium kind of fill in from zero to sixty thousand, and I mean that moment when they first just hit trucking was their first song. And I mean, the wave of like sheer adulation and excitement and human joy that resonated from like the back of the bleachers all the way to the stage was, you know, I've, I've never seen so many human beings in one place happy ever. I've never seen so many people on the same page. And that was, uh, that was unbelievable to experience. And then to be able to add to that experience by creating these visuals during drums in space, which is kind of the most psychedelic part of the evening. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was a rush, um, you know, beyond comparison. I don't have any other experiences that are, that can really, um, that, uh, that live up to, to what that was. Um, and, uh, it was amazing. And I think it was really, it hit me around Saturday night in Chicago. I mean, there were a lot of mm-hmm. really amazing highlights, but, 
we um I think that set was a particularly deep psychedelic set for me. I kind of started in one direction and during it I really just went off script and started doing some things with the visuals and particles that I didn't expect that I was going to do. And it just like oh, wow. the, the, the creative current was really there and I could really, So you're creating it live. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm using these, I'm using my Wacom and I'm creating these dynamic particles to kind of build and undulate. And I'm, I'm trying to interpret the music the best I can. So I have particles mm-hmm. that explode on command, like during the drums and the percussion set and during the space, I have these particles that just kind of they they grow and undulate and move as I'm moving this this my pen up and down the tablet, trying to kind of follow the curves of the harmony and the rhythms. And mm-hmm. some of them I have the ability to kind of build them on top of themselves. So they just kind of these these sort of scenes start to kind of like grow and evolve. And yeah, there was a moment where I, I was I was just there with the music and the audience. And instead of looking at my my screen or the play black monitor i was really my my field of view was like the entire stage looking at both huge led screens just creating wow. something in front of everybody and that was i was super magic and so i kind of come off that experience just super high from just the excitement that that was and i can i can feel i can feel the energy of the crowd when they're following what i'm following like sometimes i can hear the gasps or the yells or the excitement but i was just I was really one with the experience. And then after that, they had a few more songs and it was when they played uh, one more Saturday night. And cause we're in the middle of the, of the, of the stadium, we have this awesome mm-hmm. sort of like mission control center with the sound booth. So we're directly in the middle. We're elevated. I mean, it's arguably probably the best seats in the entire house. Yeah. And they're, and they're playing Saturday, one more Saturday night. And uh, I mean, the excitement was just so palatable and tangible and as they're playing it, you're me and my friends, um, my friends uh, uh, Jedi and Pacha. They're part of my team. They were out there with me, and we're there dancing and listening to the song. And you just realize we're like, wait a second, this is they've been singing this one more Saturday Night song for fifty years, and this is this is it. This is yeah. the one more Saturday night. Like there's there's no wow. more Saturday nights after that. This is the one more Saturday night they've been singing about for fifty years. And just yeah. to be there and be part of it, like that's and to be like a part of the band or an extension of the band, yeah, in a sense, right? Yeah, and that was uh, that that that's if 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 the if the CIA central like mind control frequency if they hit if they were to hit the button for me that's when they hit the button <laughs> and I'm just like oh damn I, wow. I'm not I'm not I'm not, in, I'm not getting out of this like I'm wow. I'm I'm all, I'm on the team forever now it's like oh it's like oh shit. There's yeah. no, there's no escape. And, <laughs> well, and, I officially <laughs> have FOMO. So uh, it sounds absolutely spectacular. What an experience. What a, what a, you know, a, a unique lifetime experience that so few people would ever think about having. So congratulations oh, on that. Man. That's so cool. Yeah, and, and, and I just have so much more respect for, I mean, I had a lot of respect for the band too, but now I get it. Like now I'm, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. All yeah, the way. Right, right. And it's just like for even what the band and on Sunday was totally different because Sunday, just the set list, it was there was a lot of celebration, but I mean they were, you know, it was much more like, you know, don't fade away. Um, they had a lot lot, lot it was a lot more somber. You know, they went into Terrafin Station, which is like my an estimated prophet, which are my favorite Grateful Dead songs ever. They played those. Yeah. Um 
uh, you know, touch, they, they ended their encore with touch of gray. And so there was just like the, the emotional curve of the whole evening was different. You know, I mean, I, yeah. there was moments where I was just bawling and wow. crying, you know, it was like, and wow. I had to, it's, uh, I got to compare it to the experience. It's like, it's like getting it's like getting a taste and an exposure and addicted to like the most amazing drug on the planet and then having it realizing like, the supply's gone <laughs> and then it's gone you know it's just like it's right. I'm like having like the withdrawals of that it's like falling in love right when uh, the relationship is ending oh, so it's man. like it's I'm like tragically fortunate it's so bittersweet <laughs> to oh, have man. that happen. But, um, I mean, just watching, I mean, watching Bob Weir on stage, like for, especially some of the last songs, like this guy, I mean, he was putting 100% into, into everything. Like there was no, especially Sunday night, there was like no holding back. And just to see this guy, you know, center stage, you know, rim lit and just giving it everything he had, like the band in general. I mean, and there's all, there's, there's such a, a deeper, I guess, uh, kind of like emotional arc to you know, their life and what they've been through and here are these guys on stage and they've like lost Jerry, like their best friend yeah. isn't even there sure. anymore. And just seeing Bob like with his guitar, like this was, I mean, they're called the Grateful Dead. They have all these skeletons in their iconography and this guy on stage giving hundred percent, it was just like this. It was like, it was, just, it was the most beautiful metaphor that I've ever seen for, you know, the, the just the, the endurance and the creativity of man just making a stand and just saying like, just fuck you to death. That's what it was right, for me. Right. It was just this right. like, wow. and I could just, I mean, I could feel this concert and the energy created and the sound, like the sound waves out of uh, soldier field, just like cascading, like into the universe. You know, I could see it just like echoing out, like through our solar system into the galaxy. Wow. And I know it's kind of wow. a, a hippie thing wow. to say, but I just felt it, man, you know, <laughs> you definitely like, drank the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and it like, and it, I got to the point where it's like, you know what, if this is the CIA, like they write a hell of a lick, you know, and if they're listening <laughs> and if they're listening right now, like I'm you guys, I'm ready. Like, just give me a <laughs> job. Off. Like I, if you guys that's are responsible, off. I want to work for you. I will betray this counterculture in a second. Uh, Cause you guys, so funny. you guys put on a hell of a show. <laughs> That's so funny, man. So funny. Well, that that whole description of your experience, I feel like, uh, although part of me feels, yeah, bittersweet. Wow, what did I just miss? I could have went up to San Francisco because, or you know, Chicago, and and caught one of these, and now it's over forever. But hearing it from you, it it, I appreciate that. That was such an incredible uh, description of your experience, and I feel like I. Uh, vicariously through you got a little taste of of that experience so yeah and i guess for me i'm just glad that now i know what everybody is talking about like i get it yeah like i and the thing is it's unfortunate too because i'll like people have always said like you've just got to go to a show you've got to experience it and that's what i've always heard yeah and you know they're right you you do have to like i've been listening to their music my whole life and i never it never really hit me you know, like I just never, and I've tried, I've tried to get it lots of times. And now I I get it now because every time I I'll hear one of these, I mean, they played through an an amazing amount of their, just, I think they only repeated one song throughout the five shows. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I was like listening on, on Monday, I was listening to their music, like on my headphones all day, like all through the airport, like every song that I had, that had been on playlists that I re- I was listening to a lot, just researching it, making this content. 
Yeah. Every one of these songs is completely different now. It's like either wow. I wasn't hearing it, but now when I listen, it's not like I'm listening to the songs, but the songs are, they're like a bookmark to the experience that I had with the song. So I'm not even really sure. listening to the song, but through hearing the song, I'm like reliving what it was that like emotion. to be there at Levi Stadium or Soldier Field. And now I get it. But the unfortunate thing is like, you know, I'll never be able to explain it to anybody else or, you know, my kids or anybody, you know, because now they're not going to do it anymore. So it's kind of like I'm kind of I'm very I, I, I might be a little isolated, but I feel like I'm also connected to all of the Grateful Dead fans out there now. You know, I'm glad that I sure. didn't, you know, that's that's kind of a bucket list thing, I guess, is like now I have that experience and now I'm so much more tapped into the community and everybody else. And there, you know, there'll be different things in the future. There'll be, there'll be shows. I mean, there never, there'll never be anything like that was, but, um, yeah, I'm super fortunate. I guess, like I said, it's kind of heartbreaking. Um, the people mm-hmm. that haven't been, I'm like, well, you know, I was talking to one guy, uh, the next day that was in Chicago and he wasn't there. He'd never seen a show. And I'm like, well, you, you saved yourself the heartbreak of like falling in love with them and realizing it's never going to happen again. So that's looking on the bright side. At, that's the bright side of it all. But yeah, no, it's, I mean, the, ma- the magic, the magic is real. And I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not easily convinced and they definitely convinced me. Very, very cool. Well, thank you for sharing that. that You're welcome. That sounds like quite the experience. Now, speaking of drinking the Kool-Aid, uh, when you and I met, we got into some really fascinating discussions about um, what some may refer to as cons- uh, conspiracy theories or discrepancies what uh, between what those in power want us to believe and what is actually going on. And um, I'm curious, you, you, you know, we talked a, quite a bit, and I'm sure this could be a whole show unto itself, but what are some of the theories that it, you have heard and researched or the number one theory you have heard and researched that you feel uh, have the most credence? Um, well, you know, actually I did a, I did a recent podcast, uh, my podcast, which is called uh, midnight sunrise radio right. and our, our last show, um, you can check it out. It was all about conspiracies and we really get into kind of conspiracy theory versus uh, conspiracy fact. Um, but we had a researcher on named uh, Ole that his, he really just specializes in the conspiracy fact, like really only conspiracies that you can tell have like absolute, like, you know, objective fundamental documents and truth around this thing. So there's, there's lots of really like far out conspiracies that, you know, I, I support or I want to believe, but I know that don't have anything backing it up. But when we had this show talking to him, the one conspiracy that it seems to definitely have the most amount of credence and evidence behind it, it uh-huh. really kind of, kind of gets back to the JFK assassination, you know, and, and okay. after hearing him, if I was going to say, if there's one sort of thing as far as Americans that I think have the most impact on us, the research that he's done on that conspiracy, um, when he, he, and he wouldn't even call it a conspiracy at this point. Um, it's, it's, it's unbelievably alarming and the, um, the, the consequences that it really has and what he kind of puts forth is that, you know, this was an assassination that was put together by many different, you know, underground elements within the government and the mob and what what makes it something that's really important to look at is he says that after that's that's you know there's, there are a lot of different moments in America's history where you know we we turned a corner, but he says that basically from that one we've never had a genuine president after that assassination. That like the whole wow. course of America has gone in a completely different direction 
from that moment forward. And there's a lot of things. So when you talk about credibility, there's just, if you look at the work that he's done, there's just an amazing amount of, of research that once you look at it, there's not a lot of denying that. So I'd say far, as far as like the litany of conspiracy theories, that's one that I think is, is probably the most credible and has some of the most like far-reaching undertones on what we consider this country to be and its agenda and its motivations and the impact that it's had on you know the rest of the entire world. Right. Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is that podcast you have recently released. Is yeah, that out there just, where people can yeah, hear it? It's 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 our it's we started our new season with it for sure. So it's on iTunes and SoundCloud and all that. Okay, cool. I definitely uh, will be tuning into that as well. So um, cool, cool. Well, so one other thing that I wanted to ask you about: you recently helped to create a fascinating new technology that creates a 360 degree visual experience of visionary art. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about your involvement with that. Sure. Well, I've. Uh... My role in that is is more or less kind of content, not necessarily okay. creating technology. The technology was created by a company called Full Dome Pro. They're based okay. out in in uh, in Thailand, and it's a team that I've been partnering with. Um, I give them access to all of my digital files and layered files and images, and they have an, a really amazing team that takes those images and builds like three dimensional worlds in. Um, in like cinema 4d and different uh, animating softwares. And then they bring these worlds to life and then they render it through like a virtual 360 camera. And then it's then projected into, um, you know, planetarium, like full 360 domes. And, uh, yeah, it's something we had our first dome show at the Fisk planetarium in Boulder. Um, I just came Uh back from the Alder planetarium in Chicago. We're looking at doing a show there. The next big show we have is going to be in uh, in Kiev in the Ukraine. We've got a planetarium at the end of July. We're going to do a show, and wow. I'm really excited about this. This is definitely going to be a big a big part of what I'm going to be focusing on for the rest of this year and probably the next you know coming years because it's I guess when I it's you know as as artists you know I'm always trying to bring people you know a different type of experience and. When you look at a painting, I said before, like the images are really just like the residue of the experiences that I have. They're like these right. little snapshots of infinity, like a little postcard. They're not the experience. They're just kind of like this finger pointing at the moon. But what we've been able to achieve with these, uh, these we call it the iRes, these, these 360 experiences, it's the closest thing that I've ever been able to do to really take somebody into a painting like these paintings start coming alive and the camera goes through them and within the space it really feels it gives it gives the best kind of illusion of 3d space without having glasses or anything like that and you're able to experience it with like a couple hundred people at the same time and yeah i'd say that's definitely like the peak of my sort of like visual mind-blowing potential right now is um is what we can do in these planetariums and so we're we're working now they're working kind of around the clock making new content for this show and uh once we have enough of it together we're going to be launching like a larger you know u.s and world like global dome tour and using the infrastructure of all these amazing planetariums that exist in all the major cities that are all looking for kind of new and interesting content to be projected onto them and we're yeah, you know, we're going to be we're looking at doing a, a kind of a sample. We did a, a 
uh, a sample of that at Lightning in a Bottle. Um, I heard this. Looking- Everyone came up to me saying, did you see it? Did you see it? Afterwards. And I somehow managed to miss it. And uh, yeah. I just heard that it's absolutely fantastic experience. So I can't wait to go to a planetarium because I can only imagine it will be, you know, that much grander in a in a environment like a planetarium. Yeah, it's it's deep tech. You know, it's 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 definitely, you know, like I said, I'm not easily impressed by a lot of things. And the first time I saw this, it was just like, oh, this is this is what's next. This is the next, next new yeah. thing. And it's it's you know, the next next new thing is going to be the virtual reality space and a lot of the content that we're building for this 360 dome is it, we're also building it to be por- to port it onto the into the virtual reality platform as well because that's going to be that's going to be another area that I mean you know I, yeah. I don't think people it's like you, you, you haven't seen anything you, you, you haven't seen anything yet once you can see it's what, right around the corner too it's right around the corner yeah it's going to be yeah it's going to be the next the next, the next big thing. Um, and with its own, you know, amazing and terrifying implications as well, but hopefully, you know, me and my team were, we're devoted to trying to use this technology for the the powers of good, you know, while we can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's one of those things people are going to look back on when, when these, um, virtual reality systems are, that are coming to market and literally in the coming months, I think it's one of those things we're going to look back on, you know, 10 years, 20 years down the road and be like, wow, remember before we had the internet, it's the same kind of thing. And even probably uh, more grand. Um, so uh, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's unfortunate. It's gonna, I can foresee a, a, a situation where in the future we like, we, rem, we, we reminisce and like wax poetically about the days when people just look down at their phones, you know, wasn't it nice when people just look down at their phones on the bus and on the bar, you know, that was just so nice. They could still look up because, you know, we're headed towards a thing where people are just going to have like head masks on their face or contact implants, you know, like it's (laughs) however, however dark, never leave their bedroom dystopian we think things are right now it's gonna it's gonna nothing look, it's gonna look warm and intimate towards the future we might be headed into <laughs> totally it's a, it, you said it very well it's it's so in, exciting and inspiring and terrifying all at once because oh my god so many directions it can go oh geez yeah i mean it has the potential like taryn said to totally change our whole idea of what being really means you know once yeah. they and and they've really and i've talked to some people that are really at the cutting edge of virtual um technology and they say that some of the new stuff that they have that hasn't been released some of these prototypes they get to this the, the new buzzword you're going to be hearing a lot um as far as mm-hmm. evaluating um the the impact is this term presence and so mm-hmm. things are people are going to rate things you know it's like oh well this this app has like a presence as like 10 presence or you know se- presence of seven and that's going to be what a lot of the developers are shooting for and they're really finding that um, that it doesn't, it, what it takes to kind of trick the brain into, and the, and the conscious and subconscious into reality, it's, it's really just like a combination of factors. You know, once now that when they have with like 360 sound, when they get the right frame rate, when they get the right amount of polygons, um, and, and engines that can process that, like, it, I mean, it'll still never be reality. I mean, let's just face yeah. it from an artistic standpoint, when you look at the density and the poly count of molecular reality. I don't. There mm-hmm. isn't a there isn't a supercomputer out there that I think we're that we're capable of of really mimicking that. However, mm-hmm. there is a certain element of 
factors that can be created that will be like unbelievably convincing. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a brave new world that we're heading into you know, recklessly and fearlessly. So <laughs> of course, as, as always. So obviously you have your hands in so many exciting things and you know, it's been so great to hear about them. Is there any other projects in the works that you want to share? Uh, sure. I mean, as if that isn't enough, uh, what know, can we expect from you enough. in the future? Well, you know, it's like my, you know, I'm, you know, my job is like, my job is a, you know, I'm a, I try to be a, 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 blow people's minds and you know humans have an unbelievably fast like recovery level of their mind you blow someone's mind friday and they want to get a blown saturday so yeah 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 no you got (laughs) their recovery rate is is alarming so i'm always (laughs) you know i always i'm it's it's a it's a never-ending struggle to find new ways to break people's consciousness open um but the other project that um i'm really excited about is uh is called the Phaedroid Collective and um Phaedroid is uh it's the name of a performance act between me and uh my partner Phaedrana and mm-hmm. uh it's a it's a project where the the live visuals I create like the visuals I did at Grateful Dead that are driven kind of in the moment with a Wacom tablet I do these projections onto Phaedra as a dancer and these oh, wow. projections they enhance and they add this whole different dimension to um, to a dancer's movement. And we've wow. been we've been um, kind of incubating. We did this um, pretty heavily on the festival circuit for several years. Then we took a little bit of a break to regroup and reform. And now we've before it was just um, it was like a two man act where I was projecting onto her dancing. But now we have uh, the uh, capabilities of having multiple dancers and multiple projection streams onto dancers. And so that's um, another big project that we're working on now and and finding the right kind of venues and people to collaborate with to bring that to a, a bigger audience. And so I guess that's the, wow, that's the, cool. that and the dome and, you know, maybe more dead stuff and more tipper stuff is, is for things, things for people to be looking out on the horizon. Yeah. I'd say all of that is super exciting. So, um, that should keep, uh, three of two of you, your clones included all busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so as my audience knows, I always love to hear any stories of synchronicity or serendipity or, you know, positive paranormal events. Uh, I'm assuming someone as fascinating as you are would have such a story that you'd be willing to share. Yeah. Uh, Gosh, what do you got you for know- me? Totally. I have, I have so many, and I'm sure if I had more time, I could probably think of one that was even more amazing than this one. But the one that came to mind when you asked that question, I think it must have been, I'm going to say it was like maybe around the year, it was like early 2000s. And um, I had graduated, yeah, it was maybe 2001, and I graduated from art school, and I had a job in um, a job in California. I quit my job and I decided I just wanted to go to Europe and draw portraits for a Mm -hmm. few months and tour Europe. And so I was on this like solo European tour, going through all these cities, just drawing portraits on the street and just living this spontaneous artist life, you know, totally free. And it was, it was really beautiful time. And I I wound up in, uh, in Czech Republic and in Prague and, uh, it was, kind of just, I, I had planned just to be passing through there, but I ended up just, just getting totally sucked into the vortex that is, is Prague. And, um, back in 2001, it's a very different Prague than it is now. It was way less commercialized. And there's a real, if you've ever been, there is a, a deep 
completely supernatural element to the entire city. And I think I was there for almost a couple weeks, just immersing myself in the culture, going to these beautiful, like underground, like organic dance parties, like not techno raves, but like actual instruments and communities and people. And I went to this one party and I think I was up all night just getting, just having, just getting totally blown open. And, um, the whole city, the whole experience started to feel like a dream. You know, it felt Mm -hmm. like I kind of was questioning reality. I was questioning whether I was dreaming or not, whether I was just in this like long lucid dream that I was going to wake up from because everything think the the elements and the amount of coincidences, it's things that started feeling like really like staged, like I was in kind of a movie set and um, I was walking around and I was just having this, like, you know, this, this argument in my mind, whether it was real or not, or if I was just making this up and I kind of come to the conclusion that like, nah, this is totally bullshit. Like this is, this is, this is just me just, just, just drawing these inferences and there's nothing really supernatural happening. And I'm walking around and I was started like whistling this song and mm-hmm. I was whistling, um, the tune from, uh, uh, is you know that song like I've got no strings, like I got no string, like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm whistling mm-hmm. this theme, and then like I turn the corner, and there I see this like this store and this big window display with this like Pinocchio marionette oh. just like hanging there. Wow! And it's like, and I could just like the the song, like I did, like the whistle just came to this like abrupt stop. When I wow. saw Pinocchio, and that's wow. when I just had to surrender and just give up. Oh, and whatever my was happening was going to happen. So that yeah. is cool. That's a good one. Wow. So how, how did you interpret it as? Okay, I. I oh, that was you know, give what, up. That was like, yeah, yeah, there is something supernatural, and it's yeah, it's way bigger than my monkey brain is ever going to figure out. So instead of just fighting it or struggling it, I'm just going to enjoy it, and maybe surrender. this is a dream, and maybe it isn't, but there's no, it's kind of, there's, there's no point resisting it anymore. Just dive in. Yeah. That is a cool story. (laughs) Very cool. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Well, Android, this has been such a fascinating conversation. I, like I said, I was looking very forward to picking your brain and it was, uh, lived up to my expectations. You've had so much interesting to share and I know, uh, all my listeners will, will certainly enjoy, uh, getting a, a glimpse inside your miraculous mind and, you know, before we go, I would like to ask one last question. It's mm. my put put you on the spot question, although you're very quick on your th- feet, so I don't see it uh, putting you two on the spot. Uh, what what is the meaning of life according to Android Jones? Man, that's that's kind of putting on the spot question. Like, <laughs> well, I said before, you know, I I've known enough to know that I don't really know much at all anymore. Right, but um, I think. You know, where I, where I put my energy is, uh, you know, we have this amazing, you know, we can look out in these telescopes and see this incredible universe that we're part of. And, you know, obviously there's this massive universe out there, but I think that each of us have an unbelievable um, universe inside of my, our own minds. And uh, I think part of my meaning is really exploring this inner universe and uh, finding a way where my exploration of this universe can create a valuable experience that means something to other people. You know, it's like, I've got a lot of love for life. Um, I have a lot of passion and, uh, I find my, my, I guess my meaning is being able to translate that passion into, um, artwork and experiences that other people can share 
and hopefully inspire and cultivate more passion and and love in other people. And so that's where that's where I have my meaning today. Beautifully said, and you certainly are a huge inspiration to um, many many people. And I foresee you becoming uh, even you know more of an inspiration to a larger and larger larger audience. You're such a talent, and uh, I appreciate you once again for taking the time to to share with me here today. And, uh, you know, we'll have to circle back around down the road and, and do this again and great. check in on some of these wonderful projects that you're working on. Sounds great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me and helping me get these, all these thoughts out of my head. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone be sure to check out AndroidJones.com, uh, where of course you can purchase, uh, Android Jones artwork and see, you know, all the keep tabs on all the wonderful things he's got going on. Great. Okay, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Until next time, remember, as long as you ain't dead, you're already positive ahead. Take care, everyone.